think about your doctor. And let's just say that you have the choice between a real doctor and a robotic doctor. And we know that the robotic doctor is, again, make up a number, 97.9% accurate. And it's a life-saving surgery. Would you be more comfortable with having the robot perform the surgery or a real person to perform that surgery? You're listening to the Legal Mastermind Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Klein and Chase Williams, the go-to podcast for learning from the experts in the legal community about effective ways to grow and manage your law firm. Today on Legal Mastermind Podcast, we have Chris Hood, digital strategist at Google. Welcome to the Legal Mastermind Podcast, Chris. Hello, and thank you. For sure. And we're super excited today. We're going to talk about something that me and Ryan both personally talk private about, but we've never talked about on our podcast before, and that's AI and the future of AI and legalities around AI. And, and it seems like you're the guy to talk to. So kind of kick it off. And if you want to share your background real quick with our listeners, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Again, hello. Welcome. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for having me. My name is Chris Hood. I'm a digital strategist at Google Cloud. My background is primarily in the digital space. I work across a lot of different industries and sectors, helping customers better understand how to leverage technologies in the cloud, like AI, but also other cloud-based technologies, big data, and how that impacts things like machine learning, and how do we generate and use and leverage all of this technology to help businesses evolve, grow, become better. And I've been doing it for easily 20 years, and in general, roughly 35 years of experience in technology. Uh, my primary focus has been actually in media and entertainment. So if I use a lot of movie references today, that should help the conversation. <laughs> but yeah, that's my background, quick story of it. So when's the first time you saw AI and you're like, oh, whoa, like I got to get involved in this. This is like, ter- don't say Terminator, that's like an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Terminator. Uh, funny is that there was a movie, Steven Spielberg movie, AI, that came out, what, 15 years ago. And I was not a fan of that movie at all for various reasons. And I think on some level, it turned me off of the concept of AI. The best movie that I like that I think really demonstrates some of the things we're going to talk about right now is iRobot with Will Smith. Like when we started to actually see the ethical dilemmas of artificial intelligence and how that was impacting us as a society, that I think was where I really started to pique my interest. That's that's so funny. I was sitting here when you were about to say it. And I'm like, I hope he says Asimov. I really, really hope so. Yeah. Sure enough, um, the book is a lot different from the movie too. It just talks about um, the different dilemmas that AI have yeah. to deal with and, and the rules behind you know AI too. And uh, do you appreciate that side of it where it's like, Robots um, cannot harm a human being, but how does that law or that rule break in right. certain circumstances? Yeah. So I also teach, uh, for those listeners, I teach at uh, two universities. And one of the courses I teach is actually in ethics of technology, technical ethics. And one of the assignments during the course is all around this concept of how do you allow a computer to make ethical decisions? And how do we program a computer to do that when in theory, we as being, we'll say unethical beings, have to program that ethics into a robot or into a computer? 
So think about something as simple as autonomous vehicles. Now, this is something that's already there. We're already seeing it surge, but autonomous vehicles, and you have to say, okay, imagine this scenario. Vehicle is approaching a stop walk and there's a puppy dog in the middle of the street. What do you do? And it might be simple, turn right or turn left. But if we complicate that and we say, okay, there's a puppy dog in the middle of the street, but on the right side, there's an elderly woman. Well, now my choices are limited. I can't hit the puppy dog and I can't hit the elderly woman, so I have to go left. So then you say, and again, you continue to add complexity to this. I've got a small child on the left, an elderly woman on the right, and a puppy dog in the middle, and I can't stop fast enough. What do I do? And we have to start to understand what our own internal ethics are so that we can put that into the system so that we say, yeah, you can't harm a human. Well, then is it okay to run over the puppy dog? I mean, that might be something very challenging for us at times to think about, but those steps are really how we're evolving AI and how we have to start thinking about like those rules, I can't harm a human versus, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that. Whose ultimate decision is it? And those are very challenging conversations to have. Yeah, this is fascinating. <laughs> Just nothing short of fascinating. Those kinds of uh, moral dilemmas when it comes to like robotics and AI. Is there also, um, I don't know if initially, but do you see there also being like a level of like self-preservation where it's like, um, well, you might avoid the puppy dog, but then if you might, uh, if you go left, you might crash into a wall where the driver may not die, but they're going to be gravely injured. But also the AI also doesn't want to harm itself. Like, is that even a complication? Yeah, sure. I mean, think about, again, we see this in movies. You know, you see like an onboard computer doing a quick calculation and saying, there's a 98.7% chance that we will survive this crash. Right. And we quickly take that into calculation and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid the elderly woman, but I'm going to crash in the wall. But the likelihood of us surviving is greater. So I'm going to take that risk. And then we get into the legality of that. What if it's wrong? And what if the passenger dies in that crash? How do we then compensate for that and say, well, running into the wall was the wrong decision? I mean, it, it, it's definitely, I think, a part of those equations, but still, you know, who, who has the right to decide how to program that AI with those rules to decide, do I crash or do I run over the puppy? There's this one scary story. I don't know how true it is. I read it on the internet somewhere, but these two AIs are talking to one another. They, they're like, hey, make a conversation. And all of a sudden they're speaking English. And then like a couple of minutes later, they like start essentially, they're not making sense. And they decided themselves that the English language was inefficient and created their own language. Is that, is that a true story? I don't know if I just- That is, is that absolutely 100% a true story. Okay. okay. It is. And yes, actually what happened was they were using the English language. They were communicating between, you know, one AI and another AI system started communicating with each other realized that the efficiencies of that communication was subpar and basically created their own language. And in the process of creating their own language with various short codes and, you know, and other elements, they began to have a different conversation 
easier, more accurate, more efficient in their minds. And they learned that on their own in the process. It's a glimpse, like you said, it's a glimpse into some of the fears that we may have about AI, right? We talk about Terminator, you know, them taking over the world. There is an element of that. And, and same thing, it goes into how do we control that? How do we build in some level of rules that prevent that language from evolving to a place where, you know, they're communicating in bips and beeps that is more understandable to them than it is to us. Very scary, but at the same time, very mesmerizing and interesting and unbelievable. Love to like talk a little bit more about what you're talking about with ethics. I mean, if it's a human being that's really setting up the AI for what we perceive as success, like how does that even come to be? Is it, I can't imagine it's just an individual. Is it a consensus or what's the process there? There's a lot of different areas that this touches and, and there are definitely groups of individuals trying to develop standards. I think we are leveraging things like, you know, sci-fi and cultural references and written words. And all of these things I think are leading us towards defining a set of rules for AI. But yeah, you know, there's groups and there's checks and there's balances that are happening in the process. And I think ultimately there are a lot of different ways that we think about it. You know, everything from we're hearing like, oh, well, you know, robots are going to take over fast food. I actually just read an article yesterday uh, coming out of, I want to say Japan, where they were saying that, you know, this robot can make chicken nuggets faster and taste better than, you know, a, a normal cook at the fast food restaurant. Maybe, but if we condense that down and we just say, okay, a robot that is making and serving food is a lot different than a robot driving a car, right? And so the level of artificial intelligence that is being baked into these different implementations, I think also have different levels of ethics and concerns and standards and processes that we have to go through to really evolve that technology. And of course, AI is being massively used just in business. And we can talk about like from a legal perspective, we, we were talking just a moment ago, you know, what's the legality and the ethical dilemmas behind creating a robotic lawyer? You know, is there some? And is that going to be different again than say a fry cook, you know, or, or an autonomous vehicle? I think the answer is yes, you know, but what are those and how do we break those down into a way that we have some level of standard across all AI? I don't think we're quite there yet. I think one of the most interesting things, especially when it comes to, to laws, how the outcomes and, and judgments are based off of just someone's mood, just straight up their mood. So like a judge may you know, say someone's guilty and they say they're innocent based off of if they had a bad morning or if they're hungry or if it's the weather outside is bad. And AI, the biggest case, not the biggest case, but the first one I think of is consistency. So is there really like a case to be made about like the humans really making really big judgments based off of their mood and then AI 
being consistent based off of what we can say is just logic and using data? I think that's a really interesting point. And I totally agree. I've been into the courtroom a couple of times myself uh, for various reasons. Um, and yeah, definitely. You might have a judge that is sitting there and making a decision based on a mood, based on a gut feeling, based on you know, experience. Is that really any different than saying we have a robotic judge, but we have to define some percentile of acceptability for a decision? Is that 50.1%? Is that 90%? You know, and so if the verdict is between a guilty or not guilty, and we're only talking about a 0.1% one way or the other, is that acceptable to us? Or is that really any different than walking in and saying, I've got a coin flip based on their mood today? I don't know. You could even take it a step further. And you know, if there's a, a robotic AI judge that you know, during a, a testimony can tell that uh, a person's lying by you know, their heart rate or, or their pupil dilation, um, and that might weigh on the decision as well, even though maybe someone's guilty or not guilty. Or I mean, the possibilities are limitless. It's scary when you think about it and kind of go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when we look at today, the different ways we are using AI, like in voice recognition or in facial recognition, right? Or even in things like we go to a mall and the parking lots have meters on them that can determine, you know, is somebody parked there or not, right? Uh, we're seeing AI being used in areas like movies and TV, not as the subject matter, but in actually how we process film and being able to go in and say, I'm looking for video clips that have a red car in it. And AI actually goes through all the video clips and searches for a red car and pulls up all those clips, you know, that visual recognition, the voice recognition, the, like you said, being able to identify in fluctuations and determine whether or not somebody's lying or not. I think those are all valid and applicable elements that become very interesting. And then we wrap in the ethical dilemma. Heck, how many people think that it's ethically wrong to have facial recognition in public places, lots of people. And so then if you were to say, we're going to leverage facial recognition to determine you know, somebody's facial expressions during some legal you know, hearings, I think that becomes even more interesting in terms of, is that ethical or not? Or does, do we throw some of that out the door because it's you know, a trial? I don't know. China has like that AI social credit system thing. I'm not sure, never been to China before, but that's all, you know, <laughs> that's all AI driven and, and facial recognition driven and it's already happening. But in the US, I feel like something might happen where it just benefits everybody at a, um, like take a look at Facebook. There's so much data that's being thrown around and AI and machine learning there to serve ads and people don't care because Facebook's free. And so if you really break down like the privacy issues and Facebook probably doesn't, and I know you can't probably comment on that because you're working at Google, but uh, Facebook probably doesn't even understand what's going on with a lot of the ad serving. I would say from 
just what I've read, you know, and like people think like, oh, they're listening to me. My phone's listening to me on Facebook. So I'm getting these ads. At the end of the day, it's like the data is just so good. They don't have to listen to you because you're looking at your proximity. They're looking at what people who you're close to and, and linked to are looking at online and all the data is getting thrown together. My question is like, what do you think is going to be that next big jump to where it's the ethical line is kind of gray, but it's going to make sense for a lot of people and people are going to be okay with it. I think we're seeing some of that now. And you've outlined a couple of areas and you really, I think, touched on it, which is at what point are we as consumers okay with that? And so you'll start to see in whatever app you're using, and it could be any app, pick an app, privacy statements. Are you okay with this? Are you not okay with this, right? Cookies on, cookies off, you know, privacy on, privacy off. I agree to this. I think in general, we are seeing that consumers are interested in sharing more data about themselves if they know that that data is going to mostly remain private and it's going to help the consumer create a more personalized experience. So you might say, yeah, I'm okay with this being shared if I know that every day when I wake up, the exact you know, message and news and music and you know, wake up information is going to be on my screen because now you know. You can look at things like even your shopping experience. Uh, if, if you go and purchase coffee and you have a coffee app and you know, imagine the difference between you actually going into the app and placing the order and going and picking it up versus the app saying, would you like this because you've ordered it the same way for the last seven days, right? I think we begin to cross over that gray line you mentioned a little bit more when we understand that it's in benefit to us. I think where it gets scary is when we don't necessarily know what the data is being used for or where the data is living or how the data is being accessed and things like that. But we are seeing, and again, think about your own personal experiences. We are seeing that individuals are more likely to accept you know, or cross over that gray line if it's serving them back directly. I think that just by like thinking about more and having this conversation with AI, it's really sincerely feel like some degree of it should be applied to something where the stakes are so high with like in the legal field with like someone, the difference between them, someone committing a criminal offense and it's the difference between five years in life or someone in like a personal injury matter where it's the difference between them just covering their medical bills and them being able to like not worry about working for the next several years. Like they're like high stakes situations for all these. So do you think that there are other ways to get like maybe buy-in in, the, in a very stubborn field besides like saying that maybe outcomes would be more consistent? I'm not sure if that question kind of makes sense. Well, let's, sure. I mean, look, let's put it into a space where the stakes are higher. Think about your doctor. And let's just say that you have the choice between a real doctor and a robotic doctor. And we know that the robotic doctor is, again, make up a number, 97.9% accurate. And it's a life-saving surgery. Would you be more comfortable with having the robot perform the surgery or a real person to perform that surgery? I don't know what the answer is, but I think that if we were to survey a mass number of people 
even with high probabilities from a robot, most people would probably still elect to have a real person doing the surgery. And that just shows, I think, that we can get behind the statistics, but we can't necessarily accept the, you know, the responsibility maybe of what might happen if we allow that robot to perform the surgery. And so I think we're using technology today to help individuals like doctors and lawyers to better understand the situation and come up with alternative scenarios. And maybe the computer can say, you think it's this, but it could also be this, this, and this, and give the doctor additional information so that he is better prepared for that surgery. I think that's what we're seeing today. But I think we're still a little ways off just from the personal you know, perception of what allowing, again, robotics to do for us, that we're not quite there to say, I'm going to put my trust into the hands of the robot to basically decide my fate. What happens when like the robot builds the robot, like the AI creates another AI? I could see that. I remember like one of uh, Ryan's buddies, he's like a super nerd. And he's like, the world's going to end because a robot's going to build a robot and then a robot's going to build a smaller robot and they're going to keep building and building and building. The world will be taken over by these little tiny baby robots. There's a new ride at Disneyland for anybody who is a Disney geek, and it's a Spider-Man ride. And basically the concept is Peter Parker has this spider bot and the spider bot can self-replicate. And so it builds another spider bot and then they build more spider bots. And all of a sudden the entire facility is taken over by spider bots. And the ride is you have to go and shoot and destroy all the spiders and save you know the facility. Exactly your point, right? This is not something new in our imaginations. This is definitely one of the fears that I think a lot of people have. And same thing, do you write a protocol that says robots are prevented from building other robots? And how do you prevent that? And do they learn an alternative way of doing it? Lots of things to look forward to to the future. I will say that the only thing that I'm looking forward for into the future is flying vehicles, which I think we're somewhat getting close to. But in Back to the Future, it was supposed to have happened in 2015. And we're already, you know, a good six years past that date. And we still don't have flying vehicles. So I'm a little disappointed. That's a shame. And we also don't have vehicles that can just run on like that human garbage, which is a shame (laughs) because that was a good fuel source. So Chris, would you ride in a car right now with autopilot on? Yeah, I think I would mostly do it. If I had my choice, same thing, it goes back to our scenario, I'd probably still would prefer to have a real driver, but I'm not opposed to getting into a car with an autonomous vehicle and somebody who's self-driving or maybe someone driving from behind the scenes. So Chris, for listeners that want to learn more about you, um, I know that you have a website, chrishood.com. What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at chrishood.com and then there I have all of my social media profiles. There's an email that you can reach out to me if you want to talk to me. Uh, You can also find my podcast, which is called That Digital Show, which is produced at Google. And we talk a lot about different business applications of technology. And yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Thanks for listening to the Legal Mastermind Podcast. 
If you're interested in working with Ryan and Chase, please email mastermind at marketmymarket.com. Make sure to join the free mastermind group for growing and managing your firm at lawfirmmastermind.com. Ryan Klein and Chase Williams are the managing partners at Market My Market, one of the top legal marketing companies in the United States.